Welcome again to church. Praise the Lord. Thank you for coming out. Um, isn't it awesome to celebrate tonight that our debt's are paid? Anybody else want to clap with me? No. Okay. How awesome is it to know that we have victory tonight? That through the blood of Christ, through the blood of the cross, we have victory over our sin, that our debt is paid, and we no longer have to go about the work of trying to cover all of that because it's done. It's a beautiful thing, and I praise the Lord that, that you have experienced that. And if you've not experienced that, if you've not accepted that debt being paid, I pray that you do. We pray that you lay it down at the feet of Jesus because he had, it, he had your sin on the cross, and he wants you to say, yes, thank you, thank you. I want that new life. Well, I'm excited that you're, that you're here tonight, that you came out to, to join us for church. Um, uh, but let me, let me, if you will, join me in a word of prayer. And um, you guys can just kind of sit back and relax. Uh, there are cookies on the dock, so it's going to be okay. Um, <laughs> if you get bored, just dream about those cookies. Um, but let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the blessing and the gift and the, the totally undeserved gift of Jesus coming to die in our place and giving us forgiveness and grace and victory and assurance that when we pass from this life into the next, that we're not going to go spend eternity in hell in that place with the weeping and gnashing of teeth and all of the torture and all the awful things that, that our sin leads us to that our sin deserves, but instead we are forgiven and we can step into, the, into heaven, into the presence of, into your presence and in the presence of Jesus. So we thank you, Lord, for that. We praise you, Lord, for that today. And I do pray that as a church seeking to make and guide fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, that it's more than just a fancy saying, it's more than just an idea, but it is actually what we believe and what we are on mission for. So Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will change us and challenge us and convict us and call us out from these seats into our neighborhoods and from our neighborhoods into our cities and from our cities into the state and into the country and into the nations around the world, that we may from this little place in the small town of Punxsy be a people who reach beyond what we could ever think possible because of what you're doing in us and through us. Take it all, Lord, we surrender it and invite you to lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, the Gospel of John is a wonderful gospel. Last week when I was introducing the scripture, we looked at the first chunk of John and we learned about Jesus becoming a uh, the word made flesh and Jesus being present from the beginning and, and Jesus working in creation and everything by him, through him and, and, and for his glory. And, and we, we talked through that and we walked through that and I mentioned the important, beautiful thrust of the gospel of John. Do you remember what this, you remember what this was? Uh, this was really exciting to me uh, that I learned this last week and I just, I just had to include it. I wanna share it with you again today. Do you know, when you write a letter to somebody, there's usually a purpose, a thesis, a goal. Like you might write an entire page or two and, and, you, want, and, and you wanna say a few things, but at the end of the day, at the end of the letter, you have one overarching goal of why you're sending that letter. 
Are you sending love? Are you telling the story? Are you keeping in touch? Are you reaching out? Are you comforting? What's the reason for the letter? If I send you a, a card in the middle of the week at some point, it's, it's got a purpose. It's got, maybe you're going through something. Maybe you're celebrating something, good, bad, or otherwise. That letter is going out to you or that card to say something. And, and the Gospel of John is beautiful in that he specifically says, I'm writing this letter so that you will believe that Jesus Christ is, is the Son of God and you may have life full and abundant in his name. It's to believe. And the really cool statistic that we mentioned was the cool statistic is, you know, you know the, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Matthew, the book of Matthew uses the word believe 11 times. The book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark, is used 14 times. And the book of Luke, the one we always love to talk about because it's got the, the Christmas story really in depth. It's got a bunch of parables. It's, it's, it's a real long, good book. But, but that actually only uses the word believe nine times. But the beautiful gospel of John, written to those who didn't believe written to those who didn't know Jesus as savior, but sending the world on mission uses the word believe 98 times. What do you think he was trying to tell us? Why do you think he wrote the letter? Because he wants us to believe that Jesus is the son of God and that by believing in his name, we can have life to the full, that we can have life in eternity in heaven, that we can be saved, that we can be born again. This is where we find that, chapter three. Born again. But I love this letter, and I want to spend some time in this letter because I want to encourage you in your walk and in how you go out into the world and see what is being taught to us in our belief and in our walk with the Lord and how we can reach others and how you can see pieces of this importance of following Christ and the divinity of Christ as a constant theme throughout this book. So you'll be familiar with John the Baptist. John the Baptist, or you may be familiar with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is not the John who wrote the book. That was the Apostle John, or at least they claim, they think that it was the Apostle John. But John the Baptist was a cool character. So I'm gonna read a scripture and then we're gonna just kind of walk through this scripture and um, in three different chunks kind of. And, and, and I want you to see uh, just a piece of the backstory of where this all starts before we go into what we wanna to read today, uh, John the Baptist was really a faceless man, but an important man. The reason I say that John the Baptist was faceless is because John the Baptist, he didn't want any attention. He never wanted to, he, he, he's not the guy that would go out and print up the business cards and put his face on there. He's not the guy that would put up the billboard and say, hey, here's the new guy managing this. Or the guy, hey, this is all about my name and my brand and my face and my recognition. No, no, he was not like that. 
He was asked when he came out of the wilderness and started to preach a, a message of repentance and, and that the kingdom of God is near. He was asked by, some, by a group of people who were sent by the Pharisees. They said, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? No. Well, are you Elijah? No. Well, well then you must be a prophet. No, 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 I'm, I'm not a prophet. That's not me. Well then, come on, who are you? The, the guys that sent us here, the Pharisees that sent us here, they, they really need an answer. So could you, could you please just kind of give us, give us something here? And he said, tell them that I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as the prophet Isaiah said. This is why I'm here. This is what I'm doing. And then a few verses later, the, uh, in, we kind of see the baptism of Jesus. We actually, it's alluded to in the book of John. It's not outlined in the book of John, but we see a dove descends on Jesus at baptism and John boldly proclaims to everyone within earshot, he says, behold, the lamb of God. Behold, look, Capture this, be excited about this, focus on this, present this. This is outstanding. Look at this. There he is, the Lamb of God, saying right up front, whenever John the Baptist declares that Jesus is the Lamb of God, it's his way of saying that the final atonement has come. That where in the Old Testament, lambs were, were sacrificed as an atonement for sins on altars as sin offerings. Instead, Instead, John is declaring here that, hey, the true lamb of God, Jesus has come and Jesus symbolizes, Jesus becomes the final sacrifice who took away the sins of the world. John the Baptist was a faceless man with wanting no recognition, living to decrease so that Christ can increase. He had one mission, one mission, to make way for the coming Lord, for the coming Messiah, to tell everybody about Jesus. And I want to pick up in the scripture, if you've got your Bibles, chapter one in, verse, in, chapter one in the book of John, verse 35 to 39, I want to start with. So Jesus has just been baptized. Jesus has just been declared by John as as the Lamb of God. And here's what it says next. Verse 35 says, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as Jesus walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. This is the second time he said it, behold, the Lamb of God. And those two disciples, they heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and he saw them following and he said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Amen. Now, here's what's cool about this. 
Jesus has just been declared publicly for the first time that he is the Lamb of God. John the Baptist has just done what John the Baptist was called to do for the first time. He said, here he is. Like he, all this other time, he's just like, hey, we're, this is, I'm, I'm just out here saying, hey, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. It's gonna happen. And then the moment came where the dove descended on Jesus and he's like, I know, it's you. This just happened. It just happened. And then Jesus walks by and he says it again. He's fulfilled his mission. Jesus walks by, he says it again. And when these two disciples heard this, they were introduced to Jesus by John the Baptist. And they ask a question. This is what's beautiful about this because this is where discipleship begins. This is where the call of discipleship begins. Some first disciples are introduced to Jesus by John the Baptist himself. And whenever they begin to follow Jesus, without a second notice, just like they're following John. They believe that John is on mission. They believe that he's leading them to the Messiah. They believe that John is who he says he is. They believe that Jesus, that John said, okay, hey, last night I was hanging out down by the river and, I, and, and Jesus came by, right? And he got baptized and boom. And, and so they're listening to John and they're following John. And when John says, hey, there he is, without a second hesitation, they turn and they follow him. And they start walking behind him following Jesus wherever he may go. And when Jesus turns around and he sees them, he looks at them and says, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? What an interesting question. How many of us spend our lives walking around, learning about Jesus, watching him from afar, attending church services, attending church programs, doing whatever it is that we're to do, listening to Christian music, maybe reading our Bibles. But yet, what would you say if Jesus turned around to you and said, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? Why are you here? What do you need? What are you seeking? So I ask you that today as we get started, what are you seeking? As you live your life and as you wonder about following after the things of God or wonder about following after the things of your, your job or your career or your family or whatever it is that may be, what is it that you're truly seeking? If you've heard about Jesus, if you've heard the stories, if you've heard the Easter story, if you've heard the resurrection, if you've heard that he comes and forgiveness of sins is offered to all who repent, what are you seeking? What are you not seeing that would hold you back? What are you not hearing that would hold you back? What are you really looking for in this life? 
Because we so often spend our, spend our lives seeking after the things that just rust and decay. But these disciples that chose to follow Jesus, this is what's so awesome. As soon they were following John and they had listened to John over and over again. It's like, it's like, hey, it's like they're following the preacher. They're following the evangelist. They're following the pastor. And, 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 and John the Baptist continues to say, hey, come along, come with me, come on. But I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. I'm just the messenger. So as soon as the messenger said, there he is. They said, all right, peace out messenger. I'm gonna follow Jesus. And you start following Jesus. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? Because what happens as we see this, they, Jesus asks them that question and then they come back with, hey, rabbi, they call him teacher. Hey, that's right up front. Say, hey, we are gonna follow you. And they said, where are you staying? And Jesus says to them, total invitation. Jesus looks right at them and says, come and you will see. I love this open invitation that Jesus doesn't know these guys. Jesus hasn't sought out these guys. These guys were directed at him by John the Baptist and, and they say, what are you seeking? And Jesus just looked at them and said, come and you will see, come after me. But what are we seeking as Jesus gives us this invitation and Jesus extends this invitation to us over and over and over again. Because we get out into our life and we're just constantly trying to find the next guru, trying to find the next idea, the better way to live. Trying to say, well, I got my Jesus, I got my church, I got my Bible, I got my identity. But, but could Jesus still turn to you, even if you're a follower of Christ, could he still turn to you and say, what are you seeking? What are you chasing? I'm the fulfillment of everything. Why are you still trying to fill the gaps? Why are you trying to find gaps? What are you seeking? Jesus is looking at you as a believer and saying, come and you will see. If you're not a believer, Jesus is looking at you and saying, hey, come, come on. I got something awesome that I wanna show you. You're invited into the family. Just come with me. You're gonna see it, you're gonna love it because I wanna give you more than you could ever ask or imagine. You don't know it yet, but the life that I'm about to show you and invite you into is so much better than what the world is selling. It's so much better than what the devil is lying to you about. They're only selling temporary pleasures, but Jesus is like, hey, come and see. I got something really awesome in store for you. And I, wanna, I want to give this to you so badly that I would take your sins to the cross and set you free and pay off those debts. Come and see. It's an ongoing invitation. But here's what's really awesome is we have this ongoing ripple effect in our faith. 
There's probably, I'm just go out here on a limb and say there's probably no one in this room that actually like has ever met Jesus in the flesh. Okay, nobody's gonna fight me on that. All right. None of us have walked down a road and saw John the Baptist and he pointed across the street and said, behold, the Lamb of God. You haven't seen Jesus face to face. So here's what's really awesome that I wanna show you in this scripture. There is this pattern of invitation for disciples of Jesus Christ. This ongoing that we see through the gospels and we see through the New Testament, this pattern of invitation so that in this room as followers of Christ, you, you had uh, somebody shared the story with you. Maybe it was somebody that printed a Bible and handed it to you. Maybe it was a, a, a pastor or a friend or a relative or somebody along the line. And, and, and we have this ongoing ripple effect all the way back. To, to your parents, to your Sunday school teachers, to their Sunday school teacher, to their pastor, to their evangelist, to, to Billy Graham, to, to, to somebody in the 1800s, to the 1700s, the 1600s, 1500s, 1400s, 1100s, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, all the way back to what? This moment. You know who Jesus is because John the Baptist fulfilled what he was called to do. And he was the first one to say, there he is, and, it, and, and his disciples turned on a dime and followed Jesus. And Jesus says, what are you seeking? Come and you will see. And it unleashed this pattern of invitation and introduction to who Jesus is, who he says he is, who he's proven that he is, and who he wants to be for us. All the way back to this moment. You want biblical relevance? This moment has led us here. Take these verses out of the Bible and nothing else happens. Man, that is miraculous, isn't it? That is miraculous. I think God has a plan. God has a plan and God has a pattern of introduction using his followers, putting his followers to work to grow the kingdom. So here, let's, let's move beyond John the Baptist and let me show you this pattern that you're invited to be a part of. Verse 40 to 42 says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus, his name was Andrew. He was Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So this is Peter, the, 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 the rock, Peter, the central character, the, 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 you guys are familiar with Peter. I don't want to spend much of time talking about Peter, but uh, if you're not familiar with Peter, we can talk about Peter. He's the one who denied Jesus three times. He's the one who walked on water. He kind of became the, the, the leader of the disciples. But, but the thing that I want you to see in this that is so awesome is, is that, that Andrew, following John the Baptist, gets told that Jesus is the Messiah 
spends a few hours with Jesus, says the 10th hour, he spends a few hours with Jesus, learning about who he is, finding out what he's all about, really getting this confirmation that he is divine, that he's not just another John the Baptist or another prophet or another guru that I'm gonna follow, or another rabbi that's teaching Jewish tradition. No, no, he's the fulfillment of all of this. He gets all of that. And then what does he immediately do next? He, he goes and he finds his brother. He comes and he finds... Peter, Simon, and he says, hey, hey, Simon, I got to tell you something. I just spent a few hours with him. And I'm going to tell you, we found the Messiah. You know, we've been reading about him. We've, we've been studying about him. We, 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 we took all the classes. We learned the, all of the, the Torah, all that Old Testament stuff. We, our, our forefathers have been talking about this. Our parents told us about, you know, we flunked out of school. And now we're not good at, we're not, you know, we're not rabbi material, but yet, but yet we're fishermen and we're successful at our trade. And, and we know all about him. And we've been wondering when he's going to come. And guess what? We found him. Now, the reason I think that it's so powerful that Andrew ran and told Simon is because Simon's his brother. He was so excited about this, so convinced, so believing of this, that he ran and he even told his family. Who are the first people that you go to when something amazing happens in your life? If I have a really good day, something really incredible happens in my life or at work or wherever it may be, you know, if I don't text or call my wife right away, my drive home, I'm just like, yeah, yes, I can't wait to tell you. And you drive home and you just got this bubbling excitement, like, oh, Good news, good news, good news. And, and so it begins this process of invitation and this pattern of invitation of saying, hey, 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 he is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment. He is going to save us. They don't, still don't have any clue what that's going to look like. They still have it all wrong, okay? But, but there's this level of excitement that he runs and he tells his family so what are you seeking? Jesus says, come and see. If you've come and you've seen, are you telling the people that you love the most because it matters? Or at least praying your butt off that someone else will come and tell the people you love the most because it matters. It matters. It's the only thing that matters in the end. Come and see. Come and see. Don't, it's not come and see the green railing or come and see the screen or come and see the preacher. It's come and see Jesus and what he's done for me. Preachers come and go. Green railings come and go. Slideshows come and go. Jesus lives forever and Jesus is the one who saves us. He's the one that we proclaim. Got to this pattern of invitation so that we're not the last generation. So here's what happens next. It's cool as we continue on. 
And in verse 43, he says, the next day, so next day, next day, so a couple days after John the Baptist, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and he said to Philip, so this is the first time Jesus is picking somebody out and he says, hey, Philip, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, so from the same hometown. And Philip found Nathanael and he said to him, so pause, right, this pattern of introduction continues. This, this pattern of Jesus, so now Jesus is reaching out and saying, hey, you, 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 you follow me, come on. And, and apparently Philip was all about that because he, he then goes and he finds Nathaniel and he says, again, we have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see, come and see. Nazareth was a town of about 2,000 people, so take a little small town shaming there for us. Don't you love that? You never experienced that, have you? <laughs> Drive a couple towns over and get looked down on. I've been there, I've been there. But it's that quick question, it's, the, it's, it's, it's Philip being excited and having to tell Nathaniel this amazing news that Jesus has, has come and, and he gives him some of that historical peace. So the assumption is that Nathaniel would have been looking for that and he would have understood that. Um, so he's connecting the dots and Philip just says, hey, here's what I know. I don't know everything. I can't explain to you what's going to happen. I can't tell you, the, you know, the difference between that or the other thing. I can't I'm not leading any crazy theological conversations here. He's just saying, hey, hey, listen, I found the guy Moses was talking about. I found the guy the prophets were talking about. Come and see. Just come and see. Just come, just don't argue with me. Just come and see. And Nathaniel, he really gets a home run when he comes and sees. Because when you come and see, Jesus doesn't let you down. Jesus gives you more than you are expecting. So, Remember, Nathaniel, Nathaniel, he hears this from this pattern of introduction and he comes in with some small town shaming. He's like, this guy's son of Joseph from Nazareth, really? Like you think this, like there's that little piece of like, I get what you're saying, but listen, this guy's from Nazareth. Like what, what's that? All this doubt, all these questions. Have you ever been there? Doubts and questions and I don't know, like Israel? You know, like all of these things that roll through our minds. So Nathaniel comes into this and he comes and sees, but he comes with all of these like, eh. And here's what it says. It says, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, I knew you, I was watching you, I was picking you, I was waiting for you, I knew you were there. And Nathaniel 
immediately gets that confirmation when he came and see, he, he continued to seek after what he was told could possibly be, and Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus turns it up a notch and he says, because I said to you, like, can you hear this? Like, you can kind of hear that, you can kind of hear this, like, Jesus is like, really? That's all it took? Like, he's like, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Really? Like, do you, you kind of see, Jesus is like, wow, this is going to be easier than I thought, right? Because I said I saw you under the tree and I just knew your name, come and see. And he says, you will see greater things than these. You're already flabbergasted, but let me tell you, it gets better than that. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. I love that. Come and see. Truly, truly, Jesus is saying to all of us, hey, what are you seeking what do you need? What do you want? What in your life has a gap? What in you has that God-shaped hole that you're just trying to fill up and jam it full of all these other things? Because we all have that sickness, that sickness called sin that grows up and turns into death. And Jesus is saying, what are you chasing after? Just come and see. And he will quickly he will quickly show up and flabbergast you about how much he loves you and what he has done for you because Jesus is on a mission to answer the human need that we call sin and death. And he's also on a mission to make sure that it is proclaimed. So this pattern, this ongoing pattern of introduction from John the Baptist on through scripture to today, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to, into a world that hated him and said, I love you. My arms are open. I want to forgive you. I want to give you life abundantly. What are you seeking? And won't you just come and see? Won't you come and see? And won't you be a part of this continued pattern of introduction to who Jesus wants to be for you? So as the worship team comes, I invite you, I implore you, as a faceless preacher in Punxsutawney, to come and see and say, behold the Lamb of God. Behold the savior of the world who has come and he has taken on all of the sins of humanity and invited you 
to be in relationship with him, to be forgiven, to be loved, and to have victory and to have heaven. So you don't have to carry that burden anymore. I simply invite you, as we always do, to come and see who Jesus is and who he wants to be for you. What are you seeking? It's time to seek after the only thing that will fulfill you and spend your life chasing after that. It is the best life you can live. Come and see. Amen.